Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. Hey guys, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to talk about our membership program. Uh, we recently broke a pretty big milestone. We have over 100 startups and small businesses on the platform offering up to 50% off all their product and gear. If you're like me and you're always looking for a new uh, backpack or new gear for your addictions, whether it's skiing, snowboarding, camping, surfing, whatever it is related to the outdoors, you can hop onto this membership and peruse all of the brands. We're constantly adding new ones um, to really support all of your outdoor activities. We also have a number of travel companies. So if you're looking to take a trip, whether it's to Machu Picchu, South America, wherever, um, you can save on that as well. We also have a number of food brands, whether you need a new energy bar or you just need to, f- you want to find something uh, that's different and check it out. You can f- save while doing it. Um, you can also apply to become an ambassador for a lot of these brands. There's a ton of perks. So if you are interested in checking this out, head over to readyeddy.com slash members and get your first month free. What is going on, Ready Eddie Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. On today's episode, I'm sitting down with the founder of Canuck Outdoors, Gilad Nakmani. Thanks so much for, for taking the time to, uh, to chat with me. Sure, Josh. I'm happy to. Definitely. So for the listener that may not be aware of uh, Canuck, how would you best describe your business to someone uh, who's never come across you guys? Uh, we do innovative solutions for backpackers. The problem with a lot of backpacking is that some of it is very easy to make, like soft goods. Um, you know, if you have a sewing machine, you can fix it. And then you get to the very complicated things that requires a factory to make every single part, like checking balls or a bladder or anything like that. And those are very hard for a cottage company to make but i found that those are the areas that kind of lacking the most innovation and have the biggest gaps in terms of users input so we're making those products that there's a clear problem the answer is almost obvious but it's not in the interest of any of of the big companies to make and it's just beyond most of what cottage companies are making. So what would you say, you started with trekking poles. That was the first product yes. you guys introduced. So what specifically did you address that you feel you really solved? Well, the biggest problem, at least for me, was one, the price. Um, I went through a period that I broke about four or five different sets of poles within two years. And by all the big brands, it's, it wasn't any specific brand. It wasn't any specific material. It was just probably the way I was using them or something like that. So one, it was the price point. It just didn't make sense that every time we need a pair of poles, it's going to be 200 bucks. Um, and the second was how small they break down to. So I do a lot of kind of mixed climbing, hiking. Um, in the UK, it's called scrambling, but I think here it's uh kind of grade one grade two things like that and you just need your hands a lot of times and taking out the poles kind of 
putting them together, using them to go downhill and then take them apart and put them back in your back. And they're always too big. So I wanted something small. So I've managed to make our poles uh, to break down to 14 and a half inches, which is as long as an average day pack. So it just fits inside if you need it to be. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that would, that's useful in multiple realms, right? You're not just like yes. hiking and stuff like that. It's really, you, mm-hmm. like, I'm just thinking about backcountry skiing. Like, I wish my backcountry poles collapsed to that size. Yes, exactly. Or, or traveling. I mean, I yeah, know a lot of traveling. our customers just, just take them traveling and it fits into your carry-on and that's it. We even have one, she's one of my favorite customers. She, um, she's a doctor in, in London and she, has arthritis so she needs balls everywhere and she in some point got about six pairs and she has a pole in every one of her handbags so she has a pole everywhere and it just sits in her bag <laughs> that's incredible <laughs> yes, I, when she contacted me about it it was just such an interesting story but you know not something i was what was thinking about when i was uh, designing them yeah, no, that's interesting. So what, tell me a little bit about your background. Where where are you from? Uh, did you grow up sort of in the outdoors or did you fall in love with it at, at a later point? Um, I, I, I'm guessing I'm not the average story of the outdoor industry. I grew up in Israel, uh, born and raised. Uh, my parents are both immigrants. I never really thought about hiking. I think I went camping officially until I was an adult. Um, but I grew outside Israel in the, in the eighties and nineties was like the U S in the sixties and seventies. So very free roaming. I mean, we used to just cross the fields to go and see friends, literally walking barefoot through the orchards and, or, or groves, just picking fruit on the way and going and seeing friends. Uh, so it wasn't a classic outdoor the way we see it, the outdoor market experience. I never had any serious gear or anything like that, but I've been outdoors all the time. Um, so after I th- went through my life in Israel as a as a kind of a filthy outdoor, but I was probably hiker trash before I was a hiker. This <laughs> <laughs> and um, went to the army, like most Israeli people, uh, served my three years and during that time, a lot of people were talking about traveling and seeing the world, world, things like that. And my girlfriend at the time had a dream to go and see New Zealand. And I haven't had many specific plans, so I just joined her. And we went traveling for about three months in New Zealand and about six months in Australia. And I just fell in love with the whole concept of, of traveling and hiking. And the first time that I've met kind of serious hikers and backpackers actually going on serious hikes with a plan and an idea not just kind of winging it all the time improvising your gear and eating from cans and i fell in love with the idea came back to israel worked in a in an outdoor store just to learn as much as possible ended up managing or assisting managing that store and then went traveling in south america for about seven seven and a half months just hiking my way through the andes and that's where I kind of been introduced to the idea of lightweight hiking or ultralight and solo hiking. And from then I was 
on just being out and hiking and came back to Israel, worked in an outdoor store, went back to the same one, and then at some point uh, managed a North Face store in Israel and then got a bug to open my own store, which I guess it's the equivalent of opening your own pub, which everyone has. Uh, but i went ahead and tried uh moved to england made my girlfriend then and my wife now um tried to open the store it just went into the second dip in in the uk so if there was a big recession here in 2008 and england got it in 2009 started recovering and then at the end of 2010 went into what was later dubbed the second dip. Um, and my investors pulled out and I ended up back on the store floor, working my way up. Ended up being a buyer and then a merchandiser for a flash sale outdoor retailer called Sport Pursuit. And they do a really nice idea in terms of breaking the concept of flash sales. I think the climb are quite similar in the US. And then had enough of being in the outdoor industry in that way and had all of my ideas and this endless list of every backpacker saying, oh, I wish someone made that. Ended up making them and starting a company. And now we're at Knock. That's, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, As I said, not traditional. No, but, but a, a great story. Um, and I'm jealous of the amount of traveling you've done. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yes, yes. It ended up being a lot of traveling. I think I've been in, except Antarctica, I've been on all continents. At least what? traveled to some extent on all of them. That's incredible. I hope to do the same in my life. <laughs> oh, definitely recommend it. Yeah. Definitely rec- it helps when you have no obligations, though. Yes, I, I've heard that. <laughs> yes. I, every time that I've done some serious traveling, it was, I was a complete hobo with nothing. Yeah, it definitely makes it a lot easier not having much responsibility. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can focus on it and enjoy it that much more instead of worrying about a slew of different things. Exactly. So what made you decide to come to the States? Um, we were living in London. We had two kids or we just had a second child and London is crowded and expensive. And we just, we were looking for space. My wife's family originally is from Portland. She was born in San Francisco, but she's the family originally from Portland. And we were looking at places and that looked like a good place. Good mix of outdoors and good beer and good coffee and a much more appealing place uh, in terms of pricing when you come from London. Yeah, I know that pain living in New York. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's exact. It's exactly the same. Just it's so outrageously expensive. It really is. Like I was. Uh, this is sort of a tangent, but I, I've been um, looking at co-working space, and Ooh. in New York they're so damn expensive. <laughs> oh. Everything. Incredibly expensive. Like WeWork, which is like, I feel like the standard or like at least the most commonly known one to get a a desk, a floating desk is $500 a month. Wow. It's insane. You see, I can get, I can probably get a warehouse for that much here. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I I think in the next year or so, I'm going to be leaving the city and moving close to the mountains. Um, 
Fair enough. And keeping myself there, or at least maybe even traveling a lot more. We'll mm-hmm. see. It all depends on how things go with the business. Um, but I think if you don't have a warehouse, you can. I mean, if you don't have shipping obligations, let's put it this way. Anywhere works. Well, that's There's exactly no it. Stuck yeah. in the city, and that, that's one of the big motivations behind Ready Eddie is the fact that you know I, we can run it from anywhere. Like we spent a couple of weeks in British Columbia, ran mm-hmm. business from there, skied a lot. It was great. <laughs> yep. You know, um, you know, over Christmas I was up in New Hampshire and Vermont for like a month, a uh, month and a half. Um, got my ski days in. <laughs> Enjoyed being in the middle of nowhere. Um, and so I, I think it's definitely something I'm going to start doing more frequently. Mm-hmm. But I do like for me, it's um, being here. My family's like 30 minutes outside of the city, and I come from a big Italian family, so the Italian mm-hmm. guilt is laid on if you move for yes. more than like an hour away. <laughs> yes. Well, I've been through that when I left Israel. So yeah, I, so I'm, I'm sure you I know exactly what that's Moroccan like. Family, so it's exactly the same way. Yeah. So you know, every family get together is like, I can't believe you moved away. <laughs> you know <laughs> yes. what I mean? And it's like, all right, mom, like, oh, yes. leave me alone. <laughs> It could be worse. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. I could be in a different continent. Exactly. Which is what I've done. Yeah. So, you know, you know, it's, uh, I, I, that might happen though at some point. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway, I'm getting, I'm getting too far off topic. <laughs> All right. So you, you launched in 2016. So you guys yep. are just under two years old. What, what is, um, mm-hmm. you launched first with the, with the, uh, the trekking poles. With in, the trekking poles. Yeah. Yep, it was you, still in England. Okay, and then you've expanded it. You did a Kickstarter for a water bladder, right? Yes, yes, which kind of probably really made the company. So the poles were more of my tweaks on existing products, but the water container, the, the Vecto, is a really start from scratch, which it was just one of those things that was such a pain, a very clear pain. I mean, the fact that it's so popular, I think, indicates how much it is everyone's pain to just collect water. So I just made one, but then you realize, okay, you, you can't just make a water bladder. You need parts and each part is a mold. So it was, it ended up being a more complicated thing than I thought it would be. <laughs> oh, is it? So what exactly does um, your water uh, bladder solve? Like what pain points for the listener? Um, like um, just to give an idea. Yeah, yeah, no problem. So the the Vecto is a two-opening bladder. It's a two-liter bladder that is collapsible. Superlight has a very wide opening at the top. So it just has a slider that opens like a Ziploc. And you get the whole width of the bladder that opens on one side. And you can scoop water easily from any kind of standing water, stream, anything like that, or just a tap. It just makes it much easier than trying to get it through that small hole that most uh, bladders have. And on the other hand, on the other side, it has a 28 millimeter uh, screw neck, just like a soda bottle. So you can fit most of the filter, filters that are out in the market. So soya filters, hydro blue, life straw has one that fits on those necks. And the idea was just to have something that's easy to fill but still works with any filter. I mean, I don't have an affiliation to any of the, the big filtering companies. And I wanted, and they all want to have something that just works for them or just for their filter. And it was just frustrating. I, I don't like to be 
constrained into one thing or one way of using something. So I wanted uh, a, a bladder that will work for as many things as possible. And that that's was that's how it came to be. That's interesting. And so what was the... Was the prototyping process uh, uh, like challenging? How long did it take you to really get to the point where you're like, all right, uh, I'm ready to get this thing out there and do a Kickstarter and uh, all of that? Um, I'm guessing it was, I think it was almost a year of just playing with things. I went into the Kickstarter. I, I jump into market way too early. I always do. I think it. For a lot of companies, a lot of small companies, that's how it works. It's because the the process from idea to actually having something real in your hand is very short. Um, but once you take it into manufacturing, things change. So I had working prototypes within about eight months, and then it took another six months to start actually producing. And but then again, once we made once there was 3,000 of them made, there were differences in the final product that made it a bit more complicated, and then we needed to fix a couple of things. That's interesting. So I try and keep all the batches. Yeah, it's just, it just one of those, uh, it, specifically for the vector, it was that the original neck on the prototype was very, very stiff which means it worked really really well in creating pressure and locking and closing the, the bladder. But when you were trying to hold it, to fill it with water, it was really hard. So if you had smaller hands or you're not a climber, it, it means it, it just hurt, it hurt a lot of people, all of the testers, to hold it open. So I went for something a bit softer, and it ended up not sealing it 100%. Even though theoretically it's the same material, the same thickness and everything. But it just created all of a sudden this tiny sip of water out of the seal that I'm only, that's supposed to be 100% sealed, essentially. So uh, the, the process of prototyping was relatively simple. It took time, but it was simple. But it, that move into manufacturing, that created the, com- the complexity. Yeah, it's funny. You, you don't really realize how many pieces there are to making something until you do it, and then you put it in the hands of a bunch of people, and then you're like, oh, right, didn't think of that. I didn't think of that either. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. <laughs> like, there's yes. a lot of things to work on with this uh, this yes. project or whatever it is that you're that you're working on. Um, so what is the uh, what has the growth been like since you got started? Um, it's been... So the company, the vector, for instance, that the okay, start with the poles. The poles was were okay. Uh, sales are fine. Uh, nothing dramatic or nothing that black diamonds should be concerned about. Um, but then when the vector got released in September, so we finished the Kickstarter in July, placed the actual order from the factory in September, and shipped out in November. But in September, I've got a few of the prototypes out to a few testers, and then word got out to to everyone pretty much. And since then, growth has been kind of a constant explosion. Um, I just trying to keep up. Most of the time, I just sell out of all the vectors and all the poles, 
and just trying to have enough cash flow to order the next batch. So <laughs> there will be enough stock. Uh, because I'm bootstrapping, it's all the money either goes to buying more stock or try and develop the next part. Or at the moment, I'm trying to move production to the US, so have enough money for development. So what what would you accredit the uh, the growth to? Uh, probably more than anything that I've met Darwin from Darwin on the Trail. He has a, a quite a big YouTube channel for backpacking and i met him at pct days last year so pct days is just it's an event in cascade locks in oregon that is a celebration of the pacific crest trail because it's right on the pacific crest trail and a lot of people if they're doing a northbound year they might actually get to cascade locks around the end of august just because in terms of the seasons and how it works for for hiking so either they'll be a bit further on or a bit further south so at the end of of august or mid-august there's a the pct days and i met him there and we just had a discussion just a conversation and he saw the vector which i had two more prototypes for testing and he said he's planning on doing the pct this year and if we can have one of them to test them i said yeah sure go for it try it let me know what you like, what you don't like. I was just looking for any kind of feedback at that time. And he loved it. And he done a video on it that ended up being very popular. And he's been using his ever since. So I think seven, eight months now. And he just took it onto the PCD, just started the PCD. And he kind of created the exposure that I wasn't quite prepared for. It's kind of funny how those uh, encounters like that can turn into such a big part of uh, of your success. Yes, yeah, it was. I think it was pure luck. I I do believe that the Vector is a great product, but I'm I'm not a marketer. I know nothing about marketing. I'm a gear geek, but definitely not marketing. But just a conversation over gear and someone who knows marketing, or at least knows how to present things. Well, I, uh, yeah, I think I think it's uh, the fact that you just are immersed in in the in the culture of hiking and being outside. You know what I mean? Like, if you're in that culture, you're going to meet people mm-hmm. who can help you. And if you make a great product, if you kind of uh, um, couple those two things, you just have a higher chance of of connecting with someone that can really help you get get it out there. Yes, apparently that, or at least that's what happened to me. I was definitely <laughs> not looking for any kind of of connection of that nature but it just happened and it worked for both both of us he has a product and gives me feedback when something is relevant and if i do any kind of changes i send him kind of the new version and he tells me what he think about it because he is on the trail quite a bit and that's exactly what i'm looking for just someone on the trail to give me feedback yeah no. so <laughs> yeah it's it's that's that's such a u- useful and valuable partnership um now i want to Talk a little bit about manufacturing. You've touched on this a little bit. How mm-hmm. how exactly do you um, keep sustainability in mind when when making all of your products? Um, I pay more. That's the bottom line. Um, for instance, with the Vecto, um, I wanted a very simple, fully recyclable packaging, and 
using no nylon. And the factory just couldn't understand why I don't want to put the bags in another bag. And I told them there's absolutely no need. So they charge me 20 cents more for not putting a bag on. That's, that's incredible. <laughs> that's, that's as simple as that. But I try and, and make sure that the product is sustainable or not sustainable. It's that it's usable for a longer term. Um, so the vector is, has a very high breakpoint. And it's built in a way that should last longer than most of the equivalent bladders, just because the nylon doesn't, it doesn't have nylon that might split, uses a a much more bonded bladder. So one is to make something that will last longer. I'm trying not to use any plastic bags against my uh, factory's preferences. And now I'm working on moving production to the U.S. to shorten the whole um, supply line. What what does a, a normal day look like for you? Um, <laughs> are you pretty active uh, in addition to working? Do you work from home? Like, what what does a normal day look like for you? If there really is even one? Um, well, I do have a family, so until I start working, my day is to the minute. I usually wake up at six with the kids and we'll, we'll have some time as a family and my wife goes to work because she's a serious adult and she has a real job. <laughs> oh and, <my> uh, <laughs> yes. and then I usually take my kids to, to daycare. I run with them. So I'll put them in the trailer and I'll run to their daycare. So they always get their dose of, of exercise too. They'll do a bit of running with me and then hop back in and, will run on the way and then it's at the computer i work from home um and most of the time well it depends on the day uh, <laughs> depends on what's going on around me in terms of the company uh the last week and a half for instance i've been fixing vectors it's um when i released the first batch and realized that the container wasn't completely sitting i've recalled as many as i could so i had 2000 sitting in my garage waiting to be fixed and i've redone the the slider so i just replaced all the sliders for 2000 vectors in the last week that sounds so, uh, tedious it's <laughs> very tedious but that's how my that's how the last week looked like um lots of emails um trying to get parts at the moment i'm redesigning all the parts for all my products that means that i'm getting prototypes either printed or milled um at local places around portland um getting those seeing how they work seeing if it needs any kind of tweaking working with the engineers to try and make it the most efficient just cutting weight and making things work better and I'm also doing my accounting, so that usually fits into the day in some point. Um, and customer emails, always, always, there's there are few, few emails to answer. So how usually a day looks like until the kids are back from daycare at five o'clock, and the workday will begin again at nine o'clock when they go to sleep. Sounds like you got lots of free time. <laughs> <laughs> Tons of free time. So. Much, uh, I need to be told to go to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know that game. Um, or do most of your sales come directly through the website? Um, 
it depends on the time. It just because of all my marketing is at the moment word of mouth. So it depends on who links to where. Um, some people that will write about one of my products will link to Amazon and then there'll be a boost in Amazon for a while. And sometimes it's through, through, uh, through the site. At the moment, I am out of stock in Amazon, or I was out of stock for the last week and a half. So a lot of the sales came to the site. Now I'm guessing it will go back to Amazon. Um, but it usually tends to split half and half. What has the, the unit growth been like over time? Um, so the Vector only been selling for five months. Um, so it's very short period of time and it grew from it just it comes and goes so um through hiking season just started most people are starting either started two weeks ago or kind of in the midst of starting their through hikes under the pct or the at or cdt and so that now there's a bit of a slow but usually around i'll say month to month about five to ten percent growth that's pretty good. That's... Yep, that's, that's great. And that frees more money to develop new products. So it's just uh, waiting for, for the cash flow to allow it. Yeah, I think that's one of the hardest parts when you have a product-based business and you bootstrap it is making the, the numbers work so that you can you know, get another batch going, right? Because, yes. you know, there's only yes. so much you can really do and so much you can grow by depending upon mm-hmm. how much capital you have access to at a given time. Yep. Which is such a tricky thing and can cause a lot of businesses to go out of business <laughs> if they exactly. do it poorly. I think that that's, that's about just the main thing. I, I see that every time. Luckily, I reached a point that I managed to balance. So I use, I, I do very small batches because I like to tweak things. And fix because there's also always something that you you want to fix. So I'm, my pay unit cost is a bit higher, um, but it means that I can have a quicker turnaround of things. So I don't have ten thousand units now sitting and sucking up all my money, and now I'm stuck. Right now, I think that's uh, that's a wise way to do it. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's it's probably financially less wise, but because I'm not really there for the money. I'm here because I want to make the stuff that I'm making. It's, it means that I can do the stuff that I want. You can make a better product, right? Because you can exactly. improve it. You can improve exactly. it more, more frequently and mm-hmm. without having to you know, make a large investment and then realize that something about it isn't exactly the way you wanted it. Exactly. What would you say has been one of the hardest parts um, about starting your business? marketing without a doubt at least for me um yes it's just it's so foreign to me that uh, I, I don't personally don't even use social media so it was trying to understand how to spread the word about a new company a new product that never existed was mind-boggling to me still is it's it's not an easy thing <laughs> To figure no, out. no, no. I I can make stuff. I I'm not an engineer, but I understand most of those things. I do logistics. I can do finances, but it just conveying the idea to many people was too complicated. 
Yeah, definitely. It takes time. I think that's one of the hard parts about it. And it's not, it's more of an art than a science. Yes. You know, so it's not like you can just sit down and be like, okay, here's your rubric. This are, these are the steps you need to take and then you'll have it. <laughs> yes. You know, it's a little more finesse and like personality and you know, all the things that make you unique combined with a lot of external things. <laughs> mm-hmm. That personally, I don't know what they are. <laughs> yeah, it makes it complicated, and and it does. Mm-hmm. It makes makes it take a while for you to figure out. Yes, yes. Well, I've I've just um, hired someone to take at least the social media side, and she's now starting to take over that part because she actually understands what it is. And so hopefully it will be a bit less of a mess that comes out of my head and a bit more of an organized company's representation. What would you say is one of your greatest fears and how do you manage it in regards to the business? That someone gets a product that they're not happy with. And the only way I can think of managing it is... One, make a good product, and hopefully the factory won't screw it up somehow. And provide the best customer service that I can. Because if I would have gotten a faulty product or something that doesn't work the way I expect, I'd be upset. And it will ruin my hiking experience without a doubt. So someone taking a product that they're not happy with outdoors is probably what scares me the most. Yeah, I, I, I can relate to that in the sense that like anything that you put out there, you don't want people to be like, this This is crap. Yes. You know, yes. and especially something with hiking where it's just like it can be somewhat dangerous, right? Exactly, exactly. And it's just, it's also, it's just when you create product, it, it it's almost like I'm thinking about it as my third child. There's just so much that goes into it. And you don't want anyone to be disappointed with your kids. So every one of the products that I send out to the market, I want everyone to be happy with it. Yeah. So, so what, are, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've made up, up to this point? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good little segue. <laughs> Probably I still do them daily. Um, the biggest mistake was going into market too soon without testing things more thoroughly. Um, the first batch of poles that I've made, I've ordered 500 pairs, um, which is quite a big order for a brand new product. And the factory have completely messed up the epoxy that they've used to make the carbon fiber, and all of them broke. And... Uh, Yes, that was the end of 500 pairs of poles. Oh, fun. (laughs) Yes, yes. And uh, it started by me actually selling them. I didn't know that they were, because the factory sends you boxes upon boxes. You don't end up actually opening every single one and testing them. And at some point, I started getting tens of complaints from customers that the poles are just breaking. And I ended up just opening boxes and trying to break the poles, and they all broke. So, uh, writing off your first batch, my first batch was probably the biggest mistake, but I've learned from it. So how did you handle that? What was your, what was your, how how did you tackle that issue? Um, I just, um, I recalled everything, I refunded everyone that 
I needed. Um, some of the polls were okay. That's why it was a bit surprising. So I, I guess it was just a, some of the carbon fiber that they've made. Um, and I just sold them for a complete loss, really for five, 10 pounds, which is about seven to $15. Uh, some got good ones, some didn't, but because it was so cheap, they couldn't be bothered to even think about it. And some people got great polls for absolutely no money and then started from scratch. That's, uh, that's how I dealt with it. Just owning it with the customers and trying to provide the best service I can despite the situation. I mean, that's really all you can do and hope that with honesty and transparency, they understand. Mm-hmm. And and I've been running the company since then in the exact same way. If there's anything problematic, if because it's I'm dealing with new products every time that are brand new to the market, there are always things to go go wrong. And I'm trying to be honest about it, trying to be clear about it to the customers, always replacing and fixing and sorting and just to make sure that they have the solution they're looking for. Yeah, no, I, That's I, it. it's a good, it's a great way to handle things. And there are a lot more businesses doing that these days and realizing that that's the right way to do it. It's the way I would like to be treated. Yeah, no, exactly. That's the way I treat my customers. Exactly. It's like whenever I have a crappy experience with a company, I'm just like, oh, man. <laughs> like, I just, I couldn't, I just would Who's love on to the other talk. Side? Exactly. Like, I want to talk to them and be like, you if you felt this way, it, like, wouldn't you feel a little crappy about the way you're doing business and not that excited about what you've created? Exactly. So I, I, I've, the biggest mistake was losing a lot of money and at least I've gained full schooling about perfect customer service experience. And since then it became probably the pillar of the company. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a great way to, to operate. What, now, what advice would you give to someone that wanted to start a business, whether it was in the outdoor space or really just a business in general? Um, perseverance, probably, is the biggest for no matter what kind of new invent, endeavor you go for. Uh, with business, I can see more than anything, it's just being, for me, it was being very stubborn. And I think being stubborn and persistent and just keep on going and trying because there will be failures there will be times that things don't work and you just need to write it and just keep on going and at some point it gets better um no matter how great the idea is or how bad the idea is if, if you keep on at it it will work eventually and in the outdoor industry um be an insider there's not really, um, I think the outdoor industry is very welcoming, but it welcomes users. It doesn't welcome kind of industry knowledge. If you try and, and be a smarty pants because you are a company or something like that, you won't get a lot of respect within the industry. You need to be a user, first of all. Where do you see um, Canuck going in the next year, five years, 10 years down the road? Um, the next year I want to see, or for, by 2019, I want us to be fully US made and have the agility I'm looking for in terms of manufacturing. So have kind of quick correspondence with factories and offer a product that can 
really change rapidly, have the innovation be a big part of it. In the next five years, I'm not really sure. It kind of changes by the day. Um, I'd like to have all my ideas actually out and start getting ideas from our customers, from the users, because I have my ideas, but they they have a limit to the way I use things. And I think our customers have great ideas, and I'd like to be able to start to make them. And in 10 years, hopefully, there'll be much smarter people that take care of big parts of the company that are not me, and I can focus on product development. And in that case, it will be my input rather than how I see things. What's the best part about running Canuck? That I can have the integrity of running things the way I find them right. Um, and just I've worked in the outdoor industry for a long time, and a lot of times I felt that the way we treat the customers wasn't the way it should be. And running my company means I can treat my customers the way I want to be treated. I think that's a great mission and a, and a, a great uh, drive or aspiration to to really achieve. And now for the listener that wants to keep tabs on all the things that you're doing and um, Canuck is doing, where's the best place for them to do that? Um, our site, knockoutdoors.com, is the best place for any of that. But we also, and any kind of social media, Facebook is really... Facebook and Instagram are the main platforms that we are at. And then both of them, it's Knock Outdoors. And any kind of new products or ideas or if we're looking for testers or things like that, it's all on Instagram or Facebook. And then for the listener, that that's spelled C-N-O-C, Outdoors. C-N-O-C, yes. Yeah, yes. Just, it's a Gaelic word and it's awkward, but it means a heel. So it works perfect too to what I'm doing. Definitely. And, and if anyone's listening to this between May 1st and May 29th, they can actually enter to, uh, to win a pair of uh, trekking poles and, and the water bladder along with a ton of other gear um, from another of un- other outdoor startups and small businesses. So you can head over to readyeddy.com for your chance to win. And um, with that, uh, Gilad, I really, I, I really want to thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast, share your story, and really all the things that you're working on and what really drives you. Um, and, and I'm really excited to see what you guys do in the future. My pleasure. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Ready Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.